Good morning and welcome to Shouts of Grace. Today we are in chapter 14. Wow, two weeks in already. Here is the weekly shout out to comment how many chapters you have been along for in the study. If today is your first day, and hopefully it's not your last day if it's your first day, but if it's your first day or if you've been here the whole time, let me know in the comment section because that's pretty cool if you've been here the whole time. Anyway, let's get to Proverbs chapter 14, and it says this, The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish pulls it down with her hands. He who walks in his uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is perverse in his way despises him. In the mouth of fools is a rod of pride, but in the lips of the wise will preserve them. A faithful witness does not lie, but a false witness will utter lies. A scoffer seeks wisdom and does not find it. But knowledge is easy to him who understands. Go from the presence of a foolish man when you do not perceive in him the lips of knowledge. The wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way, but the folly of fools is deceit. Fools mock at sin, but among the upright there is favor. The heart knows its own bitterness, and a stranger does not share its joy. The house of the wicked will be overthrown, but the tent of the upright will flourish. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Even in laughter the heart may sorrow, and the end of mirth may be grief. The backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways, but a good man will be satisfied from above. The simple believes every word, but the prudent considers well his steps. A wise man fears and departs from evil, but a fool rages and is self-confident. A quick-tempered man acts foolishly, and a man of wicked intentions is hated. The simple inherit folly, but the prudent are crowned with knowledge. The evil will bow before the good, and the wicked at the gates of the righteous. The poor man is hated even by his neighbor, his own neighbor. But the rich man has many friends. He who despises his neighbor sins, but he who has mercy on the poor, happy is he. Do they not go astray who devise evil? But mercy and truth belong to those who devise good. In all labor there is profit, but idle chatter leads only to poverty. The crown of the wise is their riches, but the foolishness of the fools is folly. A true witness delivers souls, but a deceitful witness speaks lies. The fear of the Lord, in the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence, and his children will have a place of refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. In a multitude of people is a king's honor, but in a lack of people is the downfall of a prince. He who is slow to wrath has a great understanding, but he who is impulsive exalts folly. A sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. He who oppresses the poor reproaches his maker, but he who honors him has mercy on the needy. The wicked is banished in wickedness, but the righteous has a refuge in his death. Wisdom rests in the heart of him who has understanding, but what is in the heart of fools is made known. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. The king's favor is toward a wise servant, but his wrath is against him who causes shame. 
Wow. There is a lot of good stuff today in this chapter. But but we're going to start off right away here at the beginning, all the way back at verse 1, where it said this, and, and it talks about the wise woman, and it says this about the wise woman. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish pulls it down with her hands. See, this should be the goal of every woman to go and to build her house. That should be the horizontal goal. Of course, we know what the vertical goal is. The vertical goal is to please God, to glorify God, to make his name known, to go and to do those things. But the horizontal goal, the number one primary horizontal goal there should be to go and to build her house. You see, when this gets out of focus, she ends up tearing her house down. And of course, isn't this completely out of focus in our culture today? Today, it's it's not encouraged that women be homemakers, that they go and they uh, have any focus whatsoever on the home, but it is all these other things that are calling them. And even to, to the point of uh, of basically going and saying like, look, don't have a family and things like that. I mean, it's, it's crazy to go and to look at this. Now, we don't have time to go into Proverbs 31, but if you do, or of course you can wait till we get there here in just a few weeks, we'll be there in Proverbs 31 at the end of this month, but you will find out that a wise woman doesn't just sit at home and make soap, okay? That's not what a wise woman does. She she is somebody who's who's going and, and making business deals, who's going and, and, and doing things and uh, all kinds of stuff. So I'm not just sitting out here going and in, in bashing uh, just unneedingly, I'm just going and saying here that this is really important, that the ultimate mindset of the wise woman is to build her house. It's not that she can't do anything else. It's not that she doesn't uh, work or doesn't make business deals or things like that. But ultimately, on the forefront of her mind should be building the house. Now, like I said here, a wise woman doesn't just sit at home and make soap all day. Uh, and, and that leads us to the second thing that I want to point out, and that is that a little dirt won't hurt. A little dirt won't hurt. In verse 4, it says this, Where no oxen are, the trough is clean, but in much increase comes by the strength of an ox. Now, this is a very important thing to understand. I don't know if you quite caught this here, but it said, you know, where no oxen are, the trough is clean. Now, this is speaking, of course, of a feeding trough. You think of a feeding trough. Well, whenever I think of a feeding trough, I think of a, a dog that my uh, family had. In fact, this is, this is probably the only dog I've ever really liked in my life, to tell you the truth. And, it, and his name was Zeke. Uh, but one thing, he was a boxer. And of course, he had those big old jowls. And if you looked at the bowl that he ate out of. Man, it was slobbery and nasty. And that food that he would eat, it would just get gross and crusty on the bottom of the bowl. Not because he, he left it there, uh, food there. It's just because, you know, he was eating there and, and he wasn't a clean eater. And and that would get kind of gross. In fact, after he'd eat, he'd go and rub up against you and, oh man, you'd just about have to go change your outfit because, uh, because his jowls would just, you know, get stuff on you. But he was a great dog. He was a great dog. But... The point remains, a feeding trough, a trough is dirty when it's used. In fact, if it's perfectly clean, it goes and shows something. And this is what it shows. It's not being used. See, perfect spotlessness is actually a sign that nothing productive is happening. Perfect spotlessness is a sign 
that nothing productive is happening. A little dirt is what we're talking about here. We're not talking about a pig's pen worth, but a little bit of dirt is necessary to accomplish anything. You know, if there are children in your home, your home is going to be a little bit dirty and things aren't always going to be put in place. So women who are building your home, understand this. It's, it's okay if things are a little bit dirty once in a while. It's okay. You're not doing a bad job. It means something productive was happening there. See, a church, if we go into a church building here, uh, you know, there should be a scuff here or there because it's a multi-generational, uh, you know, enterprise there and it's reaching out to others. And so th- there should be some signs of life in the church and that signs of life means that there's a little bit of dirt here and there. Now, don't take this principle too far and let it be an excuse for for dirtiness or laziness or anything like that. That's not what I'm promoting. There's a ditch on on both sides, but there are times when you can go uh, to a, a church, and of course, it's it's perfectly quiet. There's the, You don't hear any kids crying or, or anything like that. And of course, you go and you look out and everything's perfectly in its place. And you might think for a moment, wow, that's a great sign. Wow, this is, this is kind of nice. You know, there's no distractions and nothing's dirty. Everything's perfectly in place. But it's actually a sign of death because it's just a whitewashed tomb. That's the reality of it. And that's what this verse is really getting at, where no oxen are, the trough is clean, because nothing's happening. It's, it's empty, it's vain, it's pointless. But in much increase comes by the strength of an ox. So take that as an encouragement when your house isn't perfectly clean, or there's a scuff here, or there's a scuff there, or whatever your enterprise is. But also, be warned, don't take it as an excuse, because a lot of people do take it as an excuse, and their house is much dirtier than it ought to be, right? Or or whatever it is, things aren't picked up, or things aren't as reverent in the church, or whatever it might be. The next thing that I want us to see here is in verses 26 and 27, and this is the fear of the Lord. See, it says this, in the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence and his children will have a place of refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. See, the fear of the Lord is a strong confidence and there you can find a refuge or, or, or there the, the children find a refuge. You see, when you rightly fear God, all of the other circumstances, they lose their luster right? They lose their luster. When you're properly fearing God, you can't really fear those things that are around you. G.K. Chesterton uh, put it this way here. I'm going to paraphrase him, but, but he said the skeptic has the circumstance in the focal point and God in his peripheral vision. See, he's focusing on the circumstance, and God is just over off to the side. But to the Christian, the Christian has God in the focal point. That doesn't mean that there's void of circumstances, but those circumstances, they're in the peripheral. That's how we ought to be living our life, of not not living in such a way of skipping around, not realizing that reality is happening around us, 
but that God is so much our focus that these things are secondary. They're over right over here, not not to a point where we ignore them, but to a point where we're not afraid of them because our eyes are on Jesus Christ. He's the one that we're looking to. He's the author and finisher of our faith. Also, the fear of the Lord, it is a fountain of life. You know, it's not just the beginning of knowledge. It's not just the beginning of wisdom. It's not just a refuge. It's, it, it's, it's much more than that. It is literally a fountain of life. And isn't it interesting that the fear of the Lord has been demonized so much in our culture today? But I'm telling you, this is really where a, 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 the fountain of life comes from, is fearing God, of understanding He is the one who can throw your hell and, or your soul into hell. He's the one that we ought to fear. See, all of this reminds me of a good old hymn, Dwelling in Beulah Land, and it says this, Far away the noise of strife upon my ear is falling. Then I know the sins of earth beset on every hand. Doubt and fear and things of earth in vain to me are calling. None of these shall move me from Beulah Land. I'm living on the mountain underneath a cloudless sky. I'm drinking at the fountain that never shall run dry. Oh, yes, I'm feasting on the manna from a bountiful supply, for I am dwelling in Beulah land. The next verse says this. It might capture it even more. It says this. Let the stormy breezes blow. Their cry cannot alarm me. I am safely sheltered here, protected by God's hand. Here the sun is always shining. Nothing there can harm me. I am safe forever in Beulah land. I'm living on the mountain underneath a cloudless sky. I'm drinking at the fountain that never shall run dry. Oh, yes, I'm feasting on the manna from a bountiful supply, for I am dwelling in Beulah land. Ultimately, Beulah land, where we get to Beulah land, how we get there and how we live there on this earth, it's through the fear of the Lord. Well, this morning I want to conclude with verse 34. In verse 34, I I could speak for hours. In fact, I have spoken for hours on verse 34, so I'm going to try to be brief here. That's why I left it for the end, right? In verse 34, it says this, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. You know, politics is inevitable in life. Politics means the affairs of the people. So if you're involved in people's lives, ultimately it means you're going to be involved in politics. Otherwise, you're not really going to be involved in their life. That's the reality of it. And if you're looking for one verse to base all of your politics on, this is the verse to base it on. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Because when it comes to any law or any candidate, all you have to ask yourself is this question. Now, of course, we can go and and, and dive down deeper, and we should dive down deeper. You should dive down deeper. But at the heart of all of the questions that you dive down deeper, this is at the heart of it. Is that law righteous? Is it right by God? No. Then don't do it. If it is, yes. Then do do it then I do support it. Candidate. Is this candidate righteous? No. Well, why? Because sin is a reproach to any people. Is this candidate righteous? Yes. Well, then support him. Why? 
because righteousness exalts a nation. If you want your nation exalted, if you want your neighbor to do well, if you want to do well, then seek out righteousness, seek out righteous laws, seek out righteous candidates. This is is just the, the easiest, most simple test in the thing to ask. It's not asking a Republican or Democrat, although I'll tell you right now, if you read the party platforms, you can't be a Democrat and be righteous. It's getting difficult to be a Republican and be righteous, though, too. That's the reality of it. And so when it comes to this, this is the bare minimum simplistic test of what should drive your politics. Is it righteous? Is it right by God? Are they right by God? Notice, it doesn't say if the, 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 the lesser sin or the greater sin is a reproach to people. No, it just says sin is a reproach to any people. Don't go along with sin in politics. Don't do it. Stand up against sin and stand against it. Why? Because it brings a reproach. Doesn't matter if it's a big sin, little sin, a lesser sin, a greater sin. It doesn't matter. Sin brings reproach. When presented with two options of sin, choose righteousness, not the lesser. All right. Well, thank you for listening today. And remember Joshua 1, 8, and 9 as we depart. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Well,